What a weekend. So much to catch up on. Friday was our last show, and it feels like a million moons ago with so many twists and turns to the NHL playoff. And we're going to get into all of it in the next few hours. Of course, Derek Brandale on tech joining us. Producer Sammy McKee, Justin Bourne. So wherever you are picking up the show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, or you've subscribed to our podcast on iTunes and Spotify, we're glad you're aboard. Unfortunately, no YouTube today as we are in COVID protocol, which means we will be bringing you this show remotely. Joining me again, JB, Sammy, topsy-turvy weekend, man. I can only imagine the roller coaster, Sammy, you have been on watching this Toronto Maple Leaf Hockey Club. Yeah, listen, boys, there's no there's no way around it. Last night stunk out loud. That was a tough one to watch. You just were never in it for one minute. The second the first one goes in, Stamkos goes in, I legitimately said this game is over. It just felt over from the first shift, and guess what? It was. So we can unpack both games. Friday was an excellent game, a heart-wrenching, sort of exciting, close playoff game. And then last night was no fun. So we can go over both. But, yeah, uh, don't really know how to feel at this moment. So hopefully we can talk it out over the next 40. JB, we talked on Friday on, for the most part, I think we were all pretty much in agreement that this is going to be a close series from here on in, a split wouldn't necessarily surprise us and yet here we are with the split but it's a different feel going into game five than one that should have been a lot closer in game four yeah you know it's um it's the age-old sort of problem is how much do you weigh the value of the loss like should you care that they got filled in from start to finish or does it just mean they lost? It doesn't matter if, as uh, I believe Sheldon says in one of our clips, if they lose 2-1 in overtime, it, a loss is a loss is a loss. But it's not. It's not. There's too much history with the Toronto Maple Leafs, and that's why the tone and the conversation around this series and this team is so different today, and the feel is different for me. All right. You teed it up. Uh, we are loaded for bear when it comes to Kipper's Clippers. What is the difference between 2-1 or getting smoked 7-3? Let's ask Sheldon. Tampa was really good tonight. (laughs) (laughs) That's all he had to say. Just the Tampa's okay. That's (laughs) it? Like we said, we're remote. Great start. No, I just, I, I don't think that plays at all about how you know, if it's a close game, a loss is a loss. And I've kind of been going back and forth between it just being one loss and it just being, you know, if it was close, it maybe would, would be worse because then if you had, it was a big blowout, you could, like, it's easier to scrub it and kind of forget. But I just really feel that the Lightning look more like the Lightning in that game than they've looked in any game of the series. And I think the big question here, which everybody is asking, is the momentum from game to game, does that matter? And I don't know, if it does, heading into heading into Toronto tomorrow night, it seems that the, the, the momentum has swung the wrong way for the Leafs. Okay, I did such a great job of teeing up that uh, clip. Was it not the one we were going to get with, with Sheldon talking about the split? Do we have that? Or is that... <laughs> we do have that. Are we searching for that? Or should we just talk about it? No, All right, let's go it. to it. Came on the road Let's here. Go we got it. a split. We came. We came out here. There was five. It was a best of five series with three games in this building and two at home. Now it's a best of three with two in our building. So, to, it's a successful road trip in that sense. Whether you lose the game two one or in the manner that we did tonight, doesn't matter. You wash it. You move on. We'll be better next time. That's the clip I wanted. Yeah. Okay. And I don't like that clip for one second. Not one. I cannot believe you can lose 7-3 in game four and utter the words successful. To me, it doesn't match up. 
No, it obviously doesn't. It, it obviously doesn't. And I get the idea of not coming out and pasting the boys and saying, oh, and Tampa plays like that, we don't have a chance. And I get the idea of saying they accomplished their goal. But when it's so incongruous with what we saw, when it doesn't make any sense, it comes off as inauthentic. Even the players, everyone hears that quote and goes, no, 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 no. Don't lie. We all know you're lying. Like, what happened no, there? Why was that so bad? JB, I don't even see it as lying. I just see it as as giving them a, a false sense of where they're at or or where they should the be mentally. Yes. I just think it's it's Sheldon Sheldon's scared to rip on them now. He's scared to 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 let them have it a little bit. It's it's a sign of him needing to think that they, he needs to stroke them. And it's like why don't you just tell them they were crap? And if they're going to be crap the rest of the way, we're going to lose this series. It's that simple. Well, you hope that's the message behind closed doors. I really hope that he's trying to, like... But you you're know, not fooling us. We're not, watching, too. I know. I know. I'm with you. And that's what I didn't like about it, is that obviously you can't sit here today and go, well, yeah, a successful road trip. It wasn't a success. You know, they, they got a win. They were up 2-1. I, this whole thing about, you know, getting, you know, getting a split... You won the first hockey game. You lost the last one. You know, and you lost the last one in really bad fashion. I'll be honest, I was shocked at how unprepared they seemed for Tampa Bay. Like, this is the two-time defending cup champions. I expected to see their best down 2-1. to one. And I, they just looked overwhelmed from the get-go. They, they looked like they went out after game three and they had a great time and they all got in late and they were a little hungover. To me, that's the that's what it looked like. Like they like, got full of themselves. Yeah, like if they played okay, it's like they thought if they played okay, it was going to be close, and then maybe they'd get a couple bounces, or maybe they could turn it up. Like they they I don't know if they just didn't anticipate what was coming, but man, just watching Geo and Hall catch the play, catch the puck behind the net, like get it up, get it out. Even one of Hall's turnbacks uh, earlier in the shift, uh, I just. Like you got to get going the other way. You know Tampa's bringing the momentum, and I, I just was really disappointed in how they came out of the gates. We talk yeah. about we we talk about momentum and where it sits. There's there's that that mental momentum where you you stew for uh, a day and a half, and there's no question for a day and a half whether it was through social media or or the writers or the players themselves. There was definitely a feel about going into game four for the Toronto Maple Leafs. It was legit that when they're doing the things that we, we just recently saw, they can have great success and they can even beat this team. And then there's talk about, hey, how far can we go? And beating Tampa Bay would be a, a, an instant kind of feel that you can get to a final now. You just knocked off the Stanley Cup champions. And... Yet you, you you lost that feeling temporarily. Um, it, it is a no. No team seems to be able to string successful uh, games. But where are we once puck drops for game for game five? Mentally, well, that, physically, emotionally. Well, that's the that's the crux of it. So I'm sitting here thinking, like, you know, are the ghosts of the past? And I wrote about this today. Are they relevant here? Like. In 2019, they go up one nothing, two to one, and three to two against the Bruins. And every time when they're up in the series, the next game is a total stinker. They got a chance to put a Columbus away in Game Five, stinker. They got a chance to put the Canadians away. Game Seven last year was a total dud from the Leafs. So is that relevant here? That the Leafs don't seem to be able to follow up any success with sustained success, or is it just look? When te teams who win the Stanley Cup get shellacked every playoff year at least once or twice, is it just a bad hockey game and trying to figure out which is which is the challenge? This is a tweet from da this is a tweet from Down Goes Brown on Twitter, and um, he said, "Counting tonight in the Matthews era, the Leafs playoff win loss record. When they're trailing the series, they're seven and three. When the series is even, they're seven and ten. And when they're leading the series, they are one." And eight, fellas. One and eight when leading so the series. There's a story. That's it. That's and, the story to me. And the win, the one win, was the game four against Montreal last year when they blew the series up 3 1. 
So, because they went to Montreal and they won both in Montreal and then they, of course, lost three in a row. So, this, it's so hard to just not be like, they're tortured. They're demons. It's laundry. Like, how do you explain those numbers? There's no other way to explain those numbers than that demons are always floating around this group of players. It's impossible to not think it. And listen, the series is tied. It's far from over. One of these two teams still has to win two games to win it. But it's so hard to not have these thoughts creeping in. Like, I can't help myself. And that's not the way I should feel. But there are some players that can can wear a lot of that uh, that have been around, like a Morgan Riley. Like, he has been a part of that that trend. And this is the year that he's supposed to say, no, 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 this year's different. Austin now going into his, what, sixth year? Like, there's a lot of them there that they're supposed to be the guys this season that changes that narrative. Yep. And this is what, you know, Kyle Dubas last year in the presser at the end of the season says, killer instinct, we need the killer instinct, we don't have the killer instinct. Brendan Shanahan, killer instinct. Even Patrick Marlowe in 2019, killer instinct. With this group... And it's like you can't fabricate it, but this is the thing they're saying that has been a problem that they're trying to rectify. And so it's the, you know, a lot of people right now listening going, it's one game. Relax, it's one game. It isn't one game. It's many, many games now where this <laughs> it's is a number of games. <laughs> yes. There's a, there's a ton uh, we still need to dissect off the weekend just uh, for, for uh, just to make note of the show as we progress in, in the next two hours. The legend, Mark Massier, will be joining us in about 25 minutes. And, of course, if we want to talk about, uh, you know, great weekends and great storylines, how about the one where we watched, uh, what, guys, the 148th Kentucky Derby in uh, Churchill Downs with a three-year-old Colt named Messier. How cool was that? That was really really cool. And, boys, I got to be honest with you. I've wa- I'm not the biggest horse racing guy, but I love the Kentucky Derby. I've watched that video of that horse make that comeback oh, at least beautiful. 15 times, and I still don't understand how the hell it, it happened. It is a hell of a story. So we're going to have uh, the great Mark Messier talk about... Uh, Being a horse. Uh, what? Uh, Being a, a horse. Minutes, right? Those two and a half minutes. I'm, I, I texted him before the race, and I'm like... This feels like 1994 all over again, man. I'm nervous. I'm excited. I, like... Oh, my God, that was so much fun. It's and the only the time the board hour... household has ever rooted for a Messier, I can tell you that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> In the second hour, we got Eric Francis as well from Sportsnet uh, Calgary. He's going to join us and help us tee up uh, the Flames and uh, see the doubt, guys, in, in, in the Flames coming up. Uh, Can't score. And Edmonton. We'll, we'll get to Eric uh, in, in the second hour. All right, just to touch off uh, – more uh, topics of conversation with uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Toronto Maple Leafs. I want to get to Jack Campbell because here we are four games later. The better numbers belong to Jack Campbell. So in saying that, despite what we saw last night, is there some belief that Jack can still get this done against Vasilevsky, who's let in way more goals than have been accustomed in the past uh, in a short best of three series. JB, we'll you know, start with you. Such a shame, Kipper, that we didn't have a show after game three because Cooper was on fuego with his quotes. Basically, you know, he was asked about uh, about the goaltending at Campbell, and he was like, that guy's got – he's given up 3.5 goals against average over the last two games. He says, we're not afraid of Campbell, basically. And then he says, we're not worried about scoring goals against his Leafs team. He came out just bringing the heat, and boy – was he ever right? Now, that said, Campbell's been great, man. I do not fault Campbell for the last game at all. Nothing to do with him. That Cam- or The, the Stamkos Ripper was a great shot. Next one's a weird turnover they go bar down on. Like, it's not his fault. The only question is, should he have come out sooner? But I think Campbell's been fine. Actually, Ross even. Colton stunk, buddy. At 3 nothing, you can't let that fourth one in. I'm sorry. Which is the Ross Colton goal? Yes. Uh, why can't I remember it right Isn't now? The, it Just, wasn't great. High gl- glove. It, glove. He, yeah. Oh, the one that hit him in the mitt. Yeah. Yeah, hit him was, in yeah, the I mean, it's a shot in. from between the hash marks unscreened. I mean, yeah, he gets a good piece of it. Yeah. Sure, want him to have it too. Uh, I just... 
I just really wish they pulled him after four. I know it's only four, but like you're worried about this guy's confidence, and you know it was on the power play, and they're I, like, oh, Sammy, you want to make I'm sure they're not on the power off. play anymore. Pardon? I Go don't ahead. care if it's a power play. I don't care. Yeah, what does it matter? Whatever the case is, get him out. I text you guys oh. in our group chat. Get him out. Yeah. But uh, it's listen. over. Get him out. He's done. See, that's the thing is you, you can't you, – you're, you're laying down at 4 nothing. Like, this team scores goals like crazy. You know, you saw them almost come back once in a series when they were down 5 Cobb. They brought it to 5-3. I wasn't as eager to be like, who cares what happens to Shogren when he gets it? The game's not over. You're in the first half of the match at that point. Too much hockey right, left for me. Yeah. Let's go to Sheldon Keefe on pulling Jack Campbell. Yeah, I'm just trying to get a sense of where he's at. I mean, uh, you know, this, obviously he's he's battling, and I, and I know he's going to continue to battle. Um, we need we need him to be good for the next game. Uh, so it's just more more so a mindset. I wanted to be sure that he wasn't, you know. Um, he wasn't feeling like he really wanted to finish the game and, 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 and you know, put a good showing or anything like that. Um, I just made it clear to him it's obviously a long way to come back and we need him to be, be good to go for the next game. So um, ultimately made, you know, made the decision. I had made the decision a few minutes prior. We had already had Shelgren ready to go coming out of the timeout, but I wanted to talk with Jack first. Okay, I, I, I get it was a timeout. I, I don't get the... A minute and a half, two minutes, whatever the case was. I, I don't get that conversation with Jack. I've I'm been on many benches over my days when all the coach does on a goalie pulled is give him the death stare. And that's it. I don't I don't really understand needing to explain anything to anybody at that point on his bench. I would have rather him been pissed at everybody including Jack. And whether or not it's needed or not, I think it just sends a vibe much better than, hey, let's talk this out. Yeah. I would say, you know, Kipper, you're hitting on something that's a fundamental era difference, and I think that it's gone too far away from what you're talking about. I, I agree that it almost works in hockey when the coach had just has this absolute authority. I get the idea where it's like, all right, Jack Campbell's a guy who's going to be the guy and he's a little mentally fragile and you want to make sure you're not yada, yada, yada. He didn't stop enough pucks, get out of the net. We'll see you next game. I'm with you. The, the, it was a bit too much. Like, what are you asking the goalie for? It's time for him to come out. Sammy, you got to feel one way or another over... Are they walking on eggshells with Jack? I've just never seen that before, ever. I, I, have you guys seen that before? Where a, where a coach has a detailed conversation with his goalie? I've literally never seen that. And I go back to your point, Kipper. It's just like, yeah. Go, there's a spot at the end of the bench where the goalie sits when he gets pulled. Just go skate over there and sit there and we'll talk later. Or maybe we won't talk because you're the goalie. And we'll let Steve Breer talk to you. I, my, I just, my, my it's bad though, optics. My true feeling on this is that it doesn't matter. I don't feel like this is that relevant. Like he's going in next game. He's got to yeah. play well. It's yeah. just it's, it's just the optics for me, too. Um, and listen, did you hear Jack's comments? I don't think we have them, Sammy, but Jack's post-game comments, did you hear him? He was We, do, we have some from Jack Campbell post-game. I think we do. do. We? Okay, I let's, we do, let's yeah. play whatever we have. We were just discussing it, and um, he decided it was best for the team if, you know, just made the decision. Do you want to stay in, Jared? I always want to battle, but I always respect the coach's decision. He's fine. He's fine, yeah. and you can tell that maybe six months ago, Jack would have hung, uh, hung himself out to dry. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> yeah, I'm glad he would have. Like he would have yes. blamed himself. He would have said, uh, it's my fault. I need to be better. Yeah. He's worst I've ever played. Yeah. Worst second worst goalie or goal I've ever given up (laughs) in my career was the Colton (laughs) Ross Colton wrist shot, whatever it's he's, he's gone beyond that. Now he's fine. He's going to get himself. I think he, you know, said we got the crowd uh, to come back home. I'll make some saves. We're all good. So there was never, uh, clearly he's, He's worked on his blaming himself routine, yeah, which is and that's a good great. sign going into game five. 
So in terms of uh, people and blaming themselves, where do you sit today on the play of Matthews and Marner in Tampa Bay? They go down there, and, you know, I know you've heard the numbers a million times by now, but, you know, they go up against Kalorn, Point, and Sorelli. They get outshot, attempted 15-1 to 1 at even strength. I think outchanced 9 to nothing. They have not controlled their minutes, and they've started almost every shift in the offensive zone. What, I ask you, in all the hell? Yeah, that, uh, for me, the, the lack of presence in, in Austin Matthews is a concern. He didn't we want to have start- a kipper. We, we, we can start with uh, the flow of the game and, and the fact that Matthews and Tavares do not kill penalties, guys. And I think after mm-hmm. 40 minutes, mm-hmm. they were roughly, both of them, Tavares and, and Matthews, were up around, I don't know, 10 minutes, 10 and a half minutes, mm-hmm. and just a, a non-existent presence. So... Yeah. And he didn't want to shoot the puck on the power play. Like, the whole thing he did, he seemed quick to distribute it. It was the weirdest Austin Matthews game for me. And and we're having the same conversation in in the last three games of the Montreal series. The exact same conversation. Yeah. Where he took on a similar look. There is no question that the time that he had during the regular season closes up this time of year. He doesn't get the same access there's a there's a there's a sense of cheating right now towards Austin to take away the lanes that he has been accustomed over 82 games. That's what a series can do to you. There there are specialty players now that focus on him. He's going to have to find a way to distribute the puck and find ways to get back open because right now the looks that he gets are not anywhere near what he saw for 60 goals during the regular season. And you know what, Kipper, it's not even about offense for me. Like, you know, they controlled again, like, you know, 9% of the shot attempts. It's, it's it, for me, it's just, you know, stops and starts playing defense. Like you are playing against the hardest. Does Sorelli, does Sorelli win a Selkie yet? If he hasn't, he's certainly one of the best. Braden Point has been very near a con Smythe. Like you are going against the best defensive players, the best two-way players in the league out there with like Marchand and Bergeron. And to me, they haven't risen to the challenge. And so I feel like there's this preoccupation with their stats and maybe with them too. Are they getting their points? Are they getting their whatever? They're just not playing well, guys. They're just not. I, and I think the point you make, Kipper, about the flow is really relevant and really important that the penalties take those guys out of their rhythm. I almost think going into game five, you have control of the last change. You have control of the matchups. I think Michael Bunting should go back with them. Not because Bunting's been good, but because those guys have been familiar with one another when they've looked their best. I don't know. We can get into the lineup later. But, boy, it is a real concern at both ends that, that they're not getting it done. There just seems to me when I watch Matthews right now that there's a lack of decisiveness that was there during the regular season. Like a little bit tentative. Like there was that one power play where the he just it bobbled on him like three or four times in the spot where it's always good for him. Where, you know, kind of on the half boards where the pass came down to him and it bobbled over his stick. He couldn't make the right pass. And I don't know if it comes back to the space thing, like Kipper was saying, and how it tightens up, because he's the type of guy who's got the big body, powerful, like the space thing shouldn't really matter that much to him. It just, I don't know, it's just the concerning way he looks to me. And it's just not the same as he's looked. And listen, boys, he didn't look great for the last week and a half of the regular season when he had that phantom injury, right? Like, we didn't know what happened with him there. And he hasn't really looked that great since then, even though he scored to get to 60. I think there's some reason to be concerned here. Don't you guys? Like, in terms of maybe an injury? I don't I don't I, like it, doing that. There's, anything's possible, myself. for sure. Yeah. Everything's possible. We saw him block a shot, did we not? Um, but... I, I really believe that his mindset's got to change a little bit because he's not getting the looks. And, you know, we had Brett Hall on the show, what, three weeks ago? Pucks come to him to finish plays. And Austin, for the most part, is is used to that mentality. I should be the last guy that touches the puck before we go line up for a faceoff at center. And now I think in game five, moving forward here, it's got to be that if – if I'm not getting those looks, I gotta I gotta know where I'm gonna move the puck before it actually comes to me. That I gotta turn myself into a bit of a distributor and then just hope that I get the puck one more time back. But 
it's got to be a little bit of a different look or else he's going to fall in the same trap he was in against Montreal and what we saw in game four because we we know that the checking will get tighter. Their blue line is getting bigger as we speak. <laughs> it's, 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 it's hard to find room in game four for, for a guy like Matthews. Yeah, and listen, I don't think, uh, you know, he's – you know, that whole line has been struggle fest, whether it's, you know, Kerfoot out there with them or, you know, Marner, I, I can't remember him having the hockey puck, you know, in the last game. It's just, it was a really, so those guys, that's a personal challenge. And then after that line, so they're getting point in Sorelli. What about Nylander and, and Tavares? Like Tavares seems like the talk of Toronto Maple Leafs right now. Is it not? That's all I, mostly what I hear about. Yeah, there's no question that uh, he, he's taking a lot of heat uh, on social media for sure. And we we know and we've talked about this all season long that, that the speed of the game is not his friend. He's going to have to use high hockey IQ and get to spots where he can uh, redirect or tip or, or find a quick outlet pass uh, within six feet of the net they were just never around that area long enough to, to really make a dent here. Uh, but I, I think whether or not we're, we're talking about each individual, there is collectively in game four, an intensity issue. And whether it is Tavares or, or Matthews or, or Nylander here, to me, it, it's got to start with, getting more emotionally attached back in the series. They lost it between game three and game four. I think you're, I think Bordy's muted. Oh, sorry guys. Yep. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and put on my Neanderthal <laughs> suit here. And, and like, how does Pierre Engvall not fight Brandon Hagel at the end of the game? Like down four and the guy's five foot 10, not because I want to see fighting, but like Engvall, is a giant, and he's starting to jot, guys. I thought Pierre Engvall was terrible in Game 4. Lost puck battles, turnovers, no engagement. And then finally someone says, all right, you must be frustrated. You're, you know, you're down four. And Hagel drops his gloves, and Engvall goes, I don't know. Isn't, just isn't that the Isn't that the difference between, say, uh, a Corey Perry and Pat Maroon and the way they want to finish a game and maybe uh, send messages that we're in this for the long run here. Like they're down and, five chasing guys around. Does, I mean, right does, Engvall, does Engvall know how to do that? No. He does does not. he know how to say, hey, we may have lost, uh, you know, uh, the game, but we ain't losing the series. That's that's what you wanted out of him at the end of the game. And, and clearly he's, it's it's not his job. Just to go back, just to go back to um, what you were talking about with where Tavares and Nylander are struggling and not getting to the front of the net and trying to. There's not a lot of room, Kipper. You said something there about how there, it just doesn't seem to be there. And just from Mike Kelly on Twitter, that in the two Leafs wins, they have 22 inner slot shots, and in their two losses, they have five. So it just shows you that. I guess it's pretty obvious that you need to get to the front of the net. But in that last game, it felt like they barely had any chances from the good area. So it's just kind of telling, and I just wanted to bring that up because you mentioned yeah. them not being able to get into the middle. That's a big part of the fight, as Kipper mentioned, how big their D are. Like, can they get to that area? Mm-hmm. And they Was they there... Just... Okay, just one, one thought on Nylander because, you know, gotta... everybody's on social media. It's hard not to this time of year. But was there any more of an image that burned out of that game then Nylander quitting on a play that went viral. He's taking a beating, fellas. Like, I saw the Barstool Sports official account tweet out that clip. Like, he's just taking an absolute beating. And listen, it's not pretty. The, the, it's, not a, it's not a clip that you want circulating. But, like, no. can we just play devil's advocate no. here a little bit? He's at the end of a shift. He's been out there for however long. He goes down to the offensive zone. He doesn't, like, I'm not saying it looked good, but there is a reason, you know. He's the classic guy that if he knows he's not getting to a puck, he's not going to put in one extra stride to get to it. So, I I think Think about Sammy. Sammy. He's taking a beating, but, like, listen, there's bigger things in the game. Think about you for a second being on a Tampa Bay Lightning bench 
and watching that. Yeah, you and you know what you say to yourself? We've got him. If that's the way that guy wants to go and try to win a Stanley Cup, and we've won two already, that, that guy does not know the secret sauce. He doesn't. Zach Hyman's whole career is getting that puck, and I'm not saying William Nylander is or should try to be Zach Hyman. I am saying that the things that make him effective can be done by anyone if you just give it a reach or a poke or a pull or an attempt. Uh, you know, there's no excusing that. It's a terrible look. You're down five. You're supposed to be, you know, have pride and give it. It's embarrassing. It's absolutely sure. embarrassing. And, you know, uh, and then he ends up scoring two goals. You know, <laughs> and that kind of pisses me off a little a lot bit. Of pe- a because lot of people didn't love that. I- I'm telling you, if if you're Sheldon Keith, you're better off losing 7-1 with that guy with no goals than him coming in with two goals and somehow feeling like his game was justified because of it. It's like a nice goal, hey? two Sh- goals. Nice oh, God, it's they're they're just they're useless goals that had no no effect on the on on the game nothing they're just they're just uh, like they're like empty calorie goals yeah i i, I don't i mean i think yeah, they're they're meaningless ultimately but you still in the back of your mind if you're a leaf shooter you've now gotten three past vasilevsky again like i I think showing that the best goal in the world looks human and having a couple goals go in the net is not completely meaningless when you're trying to beat a good goalie like that. And these guys have some ego, so like, good for Tavares to get a point, good for them to see it go in. I get that, that whole thing. But mm-hmm. uh, I do I do feel like, is that play available if it's 2-2 in the third period? Like, no. has Tampa really given it the same 110% of that point? Tough to say. Probably not. Yeah. Well, it, I don't think... I don't think that they, they they need to worry about can we can make any goalie. It, they should have shown that over 82 games or even during that series that we can make any goalie, including Vasilevsky, look ordinary. We have got that much talent, and that includes Nylander. That that to me should not that, that should be almost like the least of their worries, and not that they should be like John Cooper, cocky and arrogant with. Uh, Hey, we have no problem getting goals against them. They mm. should feel that way, JB, even if Nylander doesn't score those those two goals. Yeah, you're right. And I I do think, though, it, there is some positivity. You know, you've been playing golf and you're not putting well and you're like, uh, someone gives you a putt, you're like, I just need to see this go in the hole. I just <laughs> need to feel good about my stroke for a second. I get the idea of that There's it's good for them for those pucks to go in. So, I don't know. Hey. Kipper, we do have some more, uh, a whole bunch more clips, and I there's one I'm interested in hearing on the start of the game from Cooper. Is that okay to go there next? Yeah, or... absolutely. Let's get uh, John Cooper uh, into the uh, Kipper's Clippers here. Let's do it. Cooper on start. It was yeah. We scored uh, early and often. So usually when you do that, you're putting a team on their heels, and that was the game. Okay. <laughs> All right. You needed that. You needed no, to hear that. I hadn't heard the Cooper clip yet, and uh, that was exactly what I expected you, it to be. You can hear him smiling in that clip. Honestly. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can you just can. hear the smile. So, can I ask you guys about the officiating? Sure. Because I'm not even saying this from a Leaf fan perspective, and like, oh, I'm whining about the officials. There's just too many penalties, boys. It's just there's, and you talked about the choppiness. It's not fun hockey to watch. It's stationary, five on four, power play, four on four. It's just, it's oppressive. They're calling way too many penalties. How many power plays did the Lightning have last night? Eight? Seven? How many did the Leafs have? It felt like three or four. Like, it just was, there's way too much stop and start, way too choppy. It's overkill. It's got to slow down. It's almost as if the officials got together and and said, okay, you know that, 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 that narrative that we put the whistles away this time of year. I agree. Kipper. Let's let's prove them wrong here. And I am I'm watching these these little and I think uh, Craig Simpson nailed it last night. Didn't he? Ticky tacky calls that mm. have no bearing on a play, no bearing whatsoever on a play, and yet we want to we want to call it. Why? For the sake of letting people know that 
we can call it? Is that is that it, JB? I don't know. And, you know, is, is some of the pre-series narrative relevant that, you know, Keith talking about it being a borderline violent series? Is there the potential for a game that, you know, isn't close getting out of hand, so they want to keep it reined in? I think, you know, that's one thing we haven't mentioned yet that is worthwhile to note is, like, how strange in this series that you have two good hockey teams that can play offensively, defensively, whatever, and the games are not even close. The final scores haven't done them justice. Five nothing um, for Toronto in Game One was it five nothing Tampa at one point in Game Two? You know, last night five nothing. What is going on? You, you there hasn't been I a found, lead change yet. You know what I found the craziest thing out of all that goofiness with the officials uh, yesterday when it came to you know the parade of the penalty box that Morgan Riley didn't end up with any penalties at, at the end with his scrum with uh, Braden Point. On that one, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, like, by they're, the they're way, talking brutal about... play by Point. Brutal play. He could have really hurt Riley. I thought it was terrible. Going yeah. back on the icing when he went back for the touch, like isn't that the yeah. point of the hybrid icing is we don't touch the guy seven feet from the boards going a million miles an hour? And what Simmer, you mentioned him before, he was like, after everything you've called, you're not going to call anything there? Like, because it's like, either way, however you want it. Borderline slew foot, and then he slashes them, and then he cross-checks them, and then Riley comes in and cross-checks them right back, and, eh, play on, boys. But, like, if you breathe on somebody up ice, that gets called. Like, there's a couple bad calls on Marner. Like, they were just awful, man. Awful. We're going we're gonna to go to break in a little bit, but I wanted to sneak this storyline in, and uh, after the break, you're not going to want to miss Mark Messier. He's going to give us a a recount on Stanley Cup mentality and who has it and who doesn't and who can get it with two out of three left in this series against the Tampa Bay Lightning, Toronto Maple Leafs. So Mark Messier after the break. But a storyline that started probably in the press room was when Keefe was asked on Justin Hall. Like, And I don't know who, who asked the question. Somebody mentioned Steve Simmons. I don't know who asked it, but it came off of uh, a point of of just noting that Justin Hall is the worst defenseman on the team, and it was interesting to hear Sheldon's comment. So can we go to that clip? Can we? Okay. Maybe. Our team all, all all series all season. You know we've 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 played well uh, against this team. We've. <laughs> no, that wasn't it. No. Oh, you don't have that clip. So basically, um, it was it was it was around the worst defenseman. And yeah, he he asked, "Why did you start the wor- your worst defenseman to start the game?" That's right. And his response was, "You know, that's who's worst our worst defenseman, defenseman right? <laughs> the, you know, that's your opinion." And then it was just basically left at that. And you know, I, and again, I'm I'm not sure. I, I can't. I'm not sure if it was Steve Simmons, and if it was, I am kind of surprised too because he's been around a long time, and I just think that Sheldon at least handled it the right way. Yeah, like you don't you don't bury your player, no matter what you think. And listen, if it's Steve Simmons or whoever says that, if if you said in my opinion, then it's almost a you're allowed to have an opinion, I guess. Or, or, or how? Not... But why did you start Justin Hall? That might do the trick. There's there's so many different ways to frame it, JB, and you are 100% correct. But to come out and definitively say, like, for fact that you, you Justin Hall's your worst defenseman, I, I would have yeah. taken I would have been taken aback by that uh, from from yeah. anybody, you know. And it just it stirred it up, no question about it. It did, and I think they have confidence in in Hall and Giordano's ability to defend and do the right things. I will say my problem with how the Leafs started that game, they came out on their heels by who they dressed, or by who they started. They came out and said, we have the choice of who to start, right? You don't see Tampa's lineup first. You pick on the road who's going first. And they chose their defensive shutdown group to start, and then they put out players they thought were their best defensive players. So instead of saying in game four, we're going to get greedy here and we're going to take it to them, they immediately said, let's go out and try not to get scored on. You're playing for the wrong thing. You're on your heels, and the players' play reflected that. 
the struggles that Justin Hall has had all season long were very consistent with that first shift where he is not moving his feet and he's caught flat-footed and the puck never leaves the zone. And he had a chance to just get it up the rink, you know, and he cut, turned it back and bumped it behind the boards. And, like, th- that is not a regroup moment. It's the start of a Stanley Cup playoff game. You know, Sammy, and sorry, you I, I, will say, I will say that people uh, – I saw some blame being tossed around there for Andre Kasha, who flew the zone – and maybe that's the case. I don't know what their strategy was on that team. Maybe Hall is left uh, out to dry there, but I, I still think that the puck yeah. needed to go north before it was east-west. I was just talking right, about. De- oh, sorry. I was just saying that no. I was talking about decisive decisiveness with Matthews, and just going back to the word decisiveness. There's just never any decisiveness with Justin Hall, and it's slow, and it's just it wasn't good last night, and he just looked overmatched the entire time, and I doubt we'll see him in Game Five. So those oh, would be my okay, those would be my uh, Justin Hall thoughts. We'll pick up this conversation uh, a little later because we got to go to break. We got Mark Messier waiting for us, and uh, we'll discuss a little later on in the show on what that lineup in game five could look like and who who comes out Lilligren in haul back out any other choices we'll get into that and more after the break you are listening to real kipper and born show number 149 mark messier the captain up next breaking down the top stories in the nhl every day the jeff mary show subscribe and download the show on apple spotify or wherever you get your podcasts all right as advertised one of the best all-time leaders in professional sports joining us the great mark messier Six-time Stanley Cup winner and almost first-time Kentucky Derby winner. Oh, Mass, welcome. Thanks for joining us. I'm sure the weekend was absolutely filled with excitement. Uh, just the thought of having a, a horse named after you in the Kentucky Derby, I, I thought was one of the coolest things I've, I've heard and seen in a long time. Just give us your thoughts first and foremost on on what transpired for you this weekend with with this racehorse. Well, good to be on with you, Nick. And uh, you were right. Uh, you know, it was really exciting for the whole family. Uh, my dad, being a big uh, race fan, a big horse fan, gr- growing up riding horses and training horses, and so he was just uh, in in uh, it thrilled with the whole uh, weekend and leading up to it. Uh, Pat Hughes had reached out to me and told me about. The horse, and ever since then, my dad has been following it daily and uh, reading everything he could up on the bloodline, and as you can imagine. So uh, for my dad, just seeing my dad that excited about uh, the race, the Kentucky Derby, and obviously Messier running in it was incredible, just on, on its own. But, yeah, it was really cool. Um, you know, I, you know, I guess we've been all been horse race fans for the Triple Crown anyways, and bought my dad a piece of a horse years ago from Bruce McNall when he owned the LA Kings. And uh, so we've been kind of in and out of the, out of the game a little bit, but uh, that was really special to have a, na- a horse named Messier in the Kentucky Derby. That was really cool. Uh, you know, growing up uh, Islanders blood here, wasn't rooting for many uh, Messier, the name bars on the Oilers or the Rangers. So good, good for my family to root for a Messier last night. Unfortunate it didn't come through. <laughs> uh, um, you know, watching that though, I'm thinking they probably named the, the horse Messier for grit and determination. And then I watched the Toronto Maple Leafs last night and I'm not sure we saw a lot of Messier like characteristics. William Nylander in particular was singled out. Do you think that this team genuinely lacks some of those elements that grit and determination or is it just a bad game last night well i think you know anytime you get into a seven game series with a team that's evenly matched with you like the tampa bay and and toronto are uh there are going to be ebbs and flows of momentum in the the series you are going to you know get beat Uh, you're not going to win four straight there are going to be some great moments and there's going to be some really awkward and tough moments uh for both teams, it's a team that can kind of really stay resilient and, and really continue to execute the game plan and really get down to uh, narrowing the focus of, uh, of the game plan. You know, I, I was surprised early in the, se- early in the series that uh, both teams seemed to be playing a little bit, uh, well, not a lot of, uh, uh, or taking too many penalties. Um, and, and I thought with the 
state of both power plays being so strong, that was not a good recipe for success. But, uh, you know, they both stabilized that. And uh, and uh, now we obviously got ourselves a series. And uh, But I wouldn't hang my hat on one loss or one win in a seven-game series. As soon as the game is over, you got to pretty much wash your hands with it, much like L.A. did last night after getting pre- getting beat pretty soundly in the last three games uh, with, with Edmonton. And now, geez, look at them. They uh, had a great game last night and shut out Edmonton. So, you know, things change rapidly in the, in, in the, in the series uh, from game to game and, of course, period to period. Uh, you just gotta got to stay resilient. And certainly style of play has changed over the years, Mark. Maybe uh, 15, 20 years ago, a game like that would have needed four hours to end. And yet we've already seen in this series with the likes of Maroon and Corey Perry that when the Leafs beat them, they won't go down quietly. And last night we saw a team that I think did go down quietly. Is there room at all in 2022 to still send some sort of message or were the Leafs wise to just put their tail between their legs and go home for game five? Well, I don't think there's ever a moment in a seven-game series or where you where you, uh, you, you you relinquish anything, or uh, you know I think every shift, every game, every or every period, every game uh, means something because you, you, whether you're winning or losing, even if you're not winning and you're not going to win the game, you still got to think about what the ramifications of continuing to take the body and taking the toll and and chip away at the belief of the other team. Uh, you know I think belief is a huge thing when it comes to playoff hockey and. If a team believes that they can win, uh, you know that's a big step uh, moving forward. Also, you know, um, you know, you got to take the will away it wins, uh, or take the will to win away from the other team. Uh, and that doesn't happen overnight. Obviously, uh, it doesn't happen in one game. It doesn't happen maybe in two games. But hopefully, by the end of the seven game series, there that you've done enough to soften the team up that uh, they might not want to <laughs> continue to play anymore. So. Uh, I, I agree with you, Nick. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't think you ever, uh, you know, park the uh, park a loss and think about what's going to happen next game. I, I, I think you play 60 minutes, you play it hard, uh, and you try to, you know, soften the other team up any way you can, whether it's putting some doubt on the power play or, you know, I mean, playing physical or whatever it is. But, uh, you know, you, you don't definitely don't want to uh, give the team any inkling that uh, you're not going to play the full 60 or the full seven games. Mark, what's it like when the other team says, we're going to shut your line down, when they don't even worry about what they're doing and they just shadow and stalk and hook and hold and interfere and suddenly the game is, I imagine, twice as hard as in the regular season? Well, that's a, you know, we saw that for years with Wayne. I mean, they, they, that's when the shadowing, you know, first came out. Uh, you know, teams would just designate a player and follow him around the ice. Uh, it became a cat and mouse when Wayne would come on and off the ice. Uh, it was incredible. But that's why playoff hockey is so much different than regular season hockey. Teams can formulate a game plan, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, exposes your weaknesses and takes away your strengths. That's what playoff hockey is, is making minor adjustments on a, you know, not only game to game, but period to period. And if you're not making those small adjustments, uh, as you go, uh, you know, the game, the series can pass you pretty quick. And also there's psychological warfare that's going into all this as well for the players and the mental aspect of what's happening, you know, and, you know, if you're not having success and there's a lot of pressure on you to score or you've taken a bad penalty and, and now the other team has scored and all this emotional distress is happening to each player and, of course, teams and battling through that and, you know, and still have the confidence to go out there and play a solid game is is what uh, another thing the element of playoff hockey so there's a lot that goes into these series especially like like i said when you put two teams up there evenly as matched as the Leafs and the bolts are it's a, it's a fascinating series for so many reasons we're talking to mark messier six-time stanley cup champion and current analyst with espn mark uh, when it comes to star players we know where the heat is on uh, all you have to do is uh, follow uh, the salary cap to know that Matthews, Marner held goalless. Tavares held goalless in Tampa Bay. Nylander with a couple of late ones that didn't affect the hockey game at all. If you're Sheldon Keep now, how do you get those guys uh, re-engaged? Uh, they're, they're, the Leafs can only go as far as these guys will take them. But, you know, as, as someone that's been through that before, how do you get yourself back into that, that good books when it comes to providing offense? 
Well, that's exactly the, why the players are paid the money that they are. Um, and that's why we always say you make your money during the regular season, but you make your name in the playoffs because you're able to overcome all these hurdles that the best players have on them, like being focused in by the other team and a game plan formulated around those players to shut them down and being able to find a way through it and work your way through it and, and, uh, and you know, and, and come out the other side with some success. That That's, that's the most intriguing part about, in my opinion, anyways, about uh, playoff hockey and matchups and systems and strategies and all the things that go into it that make it so compelling. And, you know, we, we've seen this for years, going back to when I first started walking, watching hockey with the Montreal Canadiens and Bobby Orr and Philly and the, what, how was Philly going to contend with Bobby Orr and, and uh, of course, all the way up to Wayne Gretzky and the whole teams trying to beat the Oilers there. So, you know, this is this is uh, as a for a coach to answer your question for a coach, uh, the players need to stay focused on executing the game plan. Uh, as soon as you get out of that alone and think about yourself and what you have to do with yourself, uh, I, I think that's where it really derails. Uh, you know, games are won and lost with it in a team effort. Everybody doing their role defensively, as we know, defense wins championships. Still wins championships or always win championships. So you got to really uh, uh, concentrate on playing a sound team defensive game, and put and the team puts in positions or the team puts in players like uh, Martyr and Matthews to make a big play uh, at the end of a game. Uh, that's when your special players can you know do something that's extraordinary at the right time. But if the team doesn't put them in the position to do that, uh, it's all for naught anyways. There, so I think they just need to concentrate on playing a complete team game. Everybody can, you know, themselves uh, concentrate on what they have to do in order to uh, be a part of that team game, and let uh, let the special talents of the, their best players uh, do do something special in in the, in the most uh, critical times. Do star players look over their shoulder on the bench and and ask the coach for a little help or or give me a different look? Do we in 1994 win the Stanley Cup if? Mike Keenan doesn't take Steve Larmer off your line and put Alex Kovalev on it in game six in the Eastern Conference Final. Well, that was a huge move from Mike, and one of Mike's best attributes as a coach was his uh, you know, in-game coaching ability to get the right players on the ice at the right times against the right matchups. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, you know, it's a game of uh, adjustments all the way through, and you don't have time... Uh, to make adjustments after the game. You have to be able to make adjustments during the game, in between periods or during the uh, period itself. Uh, I remember the Edmonton Oilers back in the you know the 80s. We had a, a big screen that we could bring down and, and look at what the Islanders were trying to do against our, our power play. Uh, and so they get that direct feedback. And, of course, now the players have that directly when they come to the bench. So there's, no, there's enough information to understand what's going on. And uh, making small adjustments, like you said, Nick, is critical for the coaching staff to, for matchups and getting those players in positions that uh, the other team doesn't like. Mismatches become critical in uh, in playoff hockey, and that's why playing on at home is such a huge advantage. So you can get those matchups, and and of course, when you go on the road, uh, you're only going to be as strong as your weakest link. So, uh, like I, I keep getting back to, it's just fascinating to see how this whole series is going to unfold. Uh, how do you feel about how it's been officiated so far? No, you know, I think it's been double-digit penalties in every single game. You know, the the Leafs obviously uh, not a physical team, but this has really kind of messed with the flow, I think, and and changed why the games haven't been particularly close. Well, I I, I couldn't agree more, and I think you know the, the the rhetoric coming into the series was going to be a bloodbath because of what happened at the end of the season there, and I think the referees. Uh, might have been calling it a little bit too close earlier in the ser- series. Uh, there was some penalties, no question about it, some retaliation penalties that, uh, you know, are never a good thing on, on, but on both sides. And then, of course, there was some, you know, there's always going to be some questionable, questionable calls. But, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd rather see the, the players being able to, uh, you know, play hard, you know, within the rules, obviously, and the, and the, and the, uh, and their officiating, uh, let, let them play, um, uh, a little bit more than they have in the in the certainly in the first few games. What would the what would the what would that have done to your great Edmonton Oilers teams? Uh, that type of parade. Uh, good teams adjust. They just they they deal the cards that they're dealt and and find ways to win. Or would it have been frustrating? 
Well, it is frustrating at times, but you have to know who you're dealing with, and you got to know what what they're going to call. You got to feel out the referee, especially in the old days of what you know. If he was going to clamp down early on and and get control of the game, or he's going to let you play, you had to recognize that very early, uh, obviously. But uh, I, I can tell you, Nick, and as you know as well, uh, you know the margin for error as these series go along and gets into the fifth, sixth, seventh games, there is it becomes very small. Uh, you know, taking unnecessary penalties and retaliation penalties uh, is just not going to cut it for either team. Uh, you know, Tampa Bay knows that. Uh, you know, the Leafs are learning a lot of lessons as they go here, and um, you know they. You know, they, I thought they did a great job in game one of, uh, you know, kind of really reversing the momentum of that early onslaught. That could have been an early onslaught by Tampa, killing off the five-minute power power play and then and actually scoring on it uh, really kind of seemed to get them jump-started. But, you know, one game isn't enough in a seven-game series. you got to bring it every night and you got to pay the price. If you're not willing to pay the price to win uh, a game, there's no way you're going to pay the price to uh, win a Stanley Cup. It doesn't come free. Uh, you got to lay it all on the line, and every uh, every action that you do on the ice uh, is certainly watched and witnessed by every one of your teammates, which goes a long way into the dressing about what to, what we're willing to do, or what we're willing to sacrifice in order to win. Very well said. Hey, listen, the next race Messier runs, you got to take the blinders off the horse because it's it's the Messier death stare before the race that's going to take him to the next level. The Messier look. That's right. You can't have the look if you got blinders on. Well, we all like the start of his race. It looked like he had great speed, and when it looked like he wasn't going to finish, uh, from what I'm told, the jockey pulled him back a little bit and saved him. Uh, so uh, I think that uh, that was good, and we'll see how he uh, comes out of the race. And, you know, the Preakness is up next, so uh, if he's running in it, I'm going to try to get there in person in that one. Ah, uh, looking forward to it. Hey, listen, you need someone to handle your bags, or I'm I'm free. I'm coming. <laughs> hey, you, Nick, you always know you're welcome, buddy. <laughs> Mark Messier. Hey, listen, really appreciate your time. We know you're a busy guy, yeah, and uh, uh, just uh, can't thank you enough for making time for us, Mess. Anytime, Nicky. Thanks for the call. All right. Thanks so much. The great, Mark Messier. Hey, pretty well said. Hey, how badly oh, you man. want it. What price are you willing to pay? What lessons are you willing to learn? How about everyone on the bench is watching you and, you know, getting a sense for, like, how far are we willing to go here? You know, I obviously am talking about Nylander pulling up on the play. It's like, you know, you don't want your teammates seeing that either. So, And that uh, that's where we come to game five here. Can they can they take out a, a humiliating loss and, and, and just learn from it quick enough to, to douse that fire? And is it is it a fire? Or is it a is it is it a slow burning one? Is it a was it a spark or is this thing going to start to go south on them? They'll we'll probably know that in the first couple of minutes, much like we knew Tampa Bay in the first minute of Game Four wasn't going to lie down. Right. You know, I I heard him say, you know, I think the Leafs are probably learning a lot of lessons as you go, and I couldn't help but think back to university where I failed Eastern religion philosophy uh, twice. So you can learn the you can go there, and the lessons can be taught, but it's on you to learn. And the lessons are being taught, but are the Leafs listening? Are they learning? So I eventually got there I, my third time, but can I uh, read a, a quote from Morgan Riley from today? That's very pertinent to what we're just talking about. Okay, this is from today. He said, I think as a group, we feel like we have learned a lot in our past experiences. I think that it's natural when you go through something, you you reflect, you uh, you look back on what you wish you did differently. Then moving forward, you try to execute those things, and I certainly think that is the case with this group. We've learned a lot. I think we've matured. Until you start to get those results that prove that, it's pretty difficult to have those open conversations with people who might control the narrative or might want to say that we haven't. They're free to do so, but it's on us to produce some results and prove that we've grown and matured and learned. I tend to believe that is the case. Great quote. I love it. Yeah, great. He hits it right on the nail. That We're not changing a thing until we change... The main thing. Yeah. And you know what? The idea that they believe they are different and that they are changed, but they recognize they have to show it, you know, that that's a big part of it for, for me here too. So, 
you know, there's not a lot of questions about what needs to happen, and, and there's not even any questions about whether the Leafs can play well enough to win. They can. They can. Just yeah. a matter of if they will. They can. Gotta, they will. I, I, I got to oh, think. I, I got to think. In, in Game Five, we'll, we'll get we'll get uh, an A game out of them. I and have they really a played Leafs team in Game Five? It, it, obviously, in Game Three, was that their A game? No. No. So, I mean, Game One's uh, A game. Is that the cl- that was the closest to a, uh, their A game? That's as good as it gets for me. Game One. Yep. But you're right. Okay. You can win without your A game. I legit don't think Where? I don't think I don't think they've played a better game in the Matthews Marner era than they did in game one of this series. They looked unbelievable that night. And listen, I didn't think they were that bad in game two. Thought they got some bad penalty calls and they took some stupid penalties and the puck went in the net, but I thought it was a little bit more even game. Game three was close and then game four was ugly. So uh, I don't know where it's going. I really it's impossible to predict. Every game's Let's... a blowout back and forth. It's just tough. It's well, it, it's it's no a lot a ton of fun at the moment. Just too many penalties. Let's let's start with where Sheldon goes with this lineup. We've seen mm. the tough, somewhat violent lineup, and then we saw the mm-hmm. the skilled lineup. Mm-hmm. So where are we? Hybrid, little mixture of both now for Game Five, or is it one or the other? You know, Kyle Clifford went out and made a bad play and didn't play game two, didn't get it in Tampa Bay. Sheldon Keefe said uh, after game one that Kyle Clifford is on their fourth line when the fourth line has been its best. I find it hard to believe that he is going to forget that and not want to get him back in. Now, what that means for the rest of the group, and I've done the lines, and boy, someone has to come out you don't like. So Clifford for Spezza... Does that seem like the most likely thing right now? Does Spezza do enough for you guys to stay in? Yeah, that to me is... The you other, know, he yeah, takes penalty or takes was... face-offs and he runs the power play, PP2. It's a, it's a given Blackwell stays in? No, it's not. But no. is it a given Wayne Simmons doesn't, want to, doesn't come in either? You know, like, yeah. could Kasha come out? You know, the way I was doing it today, he was a name to me that, uh, you know, as I bumped guys down the lineup, I was like, I don't know, I don't know. Like, I know Kasha's ceiling is super high, but four so games in, hasn't been thing, much there. Yeah. yeah. It's going right. to be tough. That's so why Key makes it. Oh. Yeah, it's, it's a tough call. It is a tough call. You wish it was an easier call. Like, that's the one thing where you look at Tampa, and that line never budged. That fourth line never budged all year. They all for scored last John game. Cooper. That's a nice <laughs> feeling that you're not sleeping, you're not losing sleep over whether or not Pat Maroon or, or, or Corey Perry should be in or out of your lineup. Well, and don't, you know, like, it's funny because you remember he played 530 in game two. He played four and a half or something in game three. And it seemed to me like Maroon was kind of on his last legs. Then he goes out and he, you know, they were a wonderful fourth line again. He plays nine and a half minutes and, you know, he, he's back in the good books. But you're right. He didn't get taken out of the lineup when he was playing bad because that trust is there with that group. Mm-hmm. As far and as the blue line is li- concerned. Oh. Go ahead, Sammy. I was just going to say a possible note for the blue line, which uh, Rasmus Sandin is apparently fully healthy uh, and ready. But I don't think, oh, and he said Keith's hesitant to throw him into the series, I guess. But he is an option on the back end at some point, I guess. Oh, boy. Uh, to me, that's break, not at 2-2. Two, two. No. To me, that's, that, that, no. uh, that's not quite an option uh, at 2-2 two, two to, to go to Sandine. Uh, I think Lilligren has to come back in. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. the only logical choice is Hall back out. You know, there are the numbers don't like Labushkin. He's he's been a struggle fast uh, with the puck and positionally at times. But I'm with you that I I think he's that thumper element is something that is he's making it hard on Kalorn and Hagel and some guys are not having fun playing them. And I hear Messier talk about softening guys up and taking a piece of them and wearing them down and chipping away. How do you take them out? Okay, is is that he does is that, something? Was that was that Mark or the horse talking? 
<laughs> Whoa. Oh, my God. Um, we got hey, two Messiers now, two star Messiers. It's big deal. It's time. It's time. But it's time for something very exciting, and I just wanted to make sure that we give this its due. Uh, we're giving away Leaf tickets for Game Five tomorrow night at Scotiabank Arena, a possibly the hottest ticket in Toronto sports history right now. It's just going to be such <laughs> an exciting crowd till Game uh, Seven. So it's your shot. It's your shot to win a pair of Leafs tickets to tomorrow night's game. All you got to do right now is text the correct answer, 590-590, to the following question, and you have a chance to be selected to go down to Scotiabank tomorrow night. The question is, this player holds the record for most all-time playoff points by a defenseman in Maple Leaf history. Text your answer to 590-590 now, and stay tuned, because if there's a Game 7, we'll have another pair up for grabs. Well, won't that be fun, a Game 7? Who wouldn't want to go to that? For all the details, <laughs> head to sportsnet.ca slash 590. So there you go. It, All right. Sounds easy. great, Sammy. We're going to take a quick yep. break. And when we come back, Eric Francis is going to help us tee up Calgary versus the Stars. Potential uh, lineup changes, mix up the lines. What's in store with Daryl Sutter? Eric Francis will help us straighten that all out. And including NHL news and notes, some storylines. Guys, Barry Trotz out wow. on the wow. island. I can't wait to hear JB's thoughts on his uh, his team, the Islanders, and what's going on there. Uh, Pierre Maguire also out in Ottawa. We'll also tee up the Rangers, Pans, plenty more on Real Kipper and Bourne after the break. <laughs> 